Let me just pray. Would you guys pray with me? And uh, really pray with me because I really want this message to serve you and not be uh, cumbersome and burdensome. And there's a particular aspect of my preaching that I'm thinking about more recently. So I'm going to pray about that. And you guys, it's my length. So I'm going to pray about that. And I want you guys to pray with me about it too. Lord, I just pray that, um, that you would help me to... Uh, to condense as much as possible, even eliminate things that you don't want, don't need said today. And I pray that uh, this would, by your grace, um, be helpful in that regard for the, the ears and hearts of everybody. I pray it would be accessible. It would be clear. Um, and I pray that if, if, Lord, if you want it to be long and draining... <laughs> physically. Lord, you can humiliate me and you can still serve your people through the Holy Spirit by humbling me. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how long or short I preach ultimately, Lord. It's about to your Holy Spirit doing the work. And so we pray most of all that your Holy Spirit would be pre- pleased to care for your bride this morning, your church that you bought with your blood. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Guys, I am just want to say, I am really aware of how precious, as I stand before you this morning, I'm not saying I, I'm aware of it all the time, but I, I feel freshly aware of how precious you are to Jesus, that you're his blood-bought people. He wants you cared for and pastored and shepherded with love and integrity and patience. And, and that um, that's what he wants for you, that he values you deeply and um, I'm not up to that task in myself, but, but he is able to work through my weaknesses and work through our weaknesses as we try to shepherd and care for each other. But I think my main point is, I just want to let you know afresh this morning that the reason why we meet, the reason why I preach, the reason why we sing these songs is so that God can be glorified in your being cared for by him so that he can be glorified in you being loved and cared for by him and you can be kept safe and cleaned and helped and nourished. You are precious to him. And um, I'm aware of that right now as we start this message. <clears throat> this is um, supposed to be, although now with length I might cut this in half, but it's supposed to be our, our last message on the portion of foundations, this little mini series we've been doing uh, that, that has to do with us and God specifically. Remember, we're in this series called Foundations. We're, we're kind of rehashing the foundations of our faith. And we're starting with you and God, moving from you and God to us and God, moving from us and God to us, God, and the world. And so this is the last attempt, at, though I might break it into the last section on us and God. And today, I want to get practical. We've been talking about the call of discipleship to be fully God's, to give ourselves over to him. Is this too loud? It's okay? Or is it too? Maybe it's, I just feel like I'm getting a lot. Everybody, is it okay or is it too loud? Okay, it's okay. So um, we've been focused on looking at the call of discipleship that the Lord asks us to give ourselves fully to him, that being a disciple of Jesus means that he is our Lord, he is our king, that we take up our cross daily and follow him. And we move from that to recognizing we need his Holy Spirit to be able to do that only through his spirit, only through his forgiveness can we be changed and given the power to do what's impossible for us. But that's exactly what the gospel does. Forgives us of our sins, makes us new creatures capable of following him. And then we learn through, we, we learn through Matthew 11 that following him is actually a joy. 
It doesn't mean there's not suffering, but it means that we follow one who is gentle and humble of heart. That giving our lives to Jesus, the more we we push into him, the more we find him to be who he says he is. A gentle Lord who is meek and humble, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light and whose goal for our lives is to give ourselves deep rest of soul. We might have persecution. We might have groanings through health problems. We might have car accidents. We have difficult relationships in our family and our marriages. And yet the Lord through all that, like Paul says, when he said, I was sorrowful, but always rejoicing is able to bring rest into our souls where we need it most. And that's what his goal is for you is rest for your soul. And then we moved from there to talking about more practically this whole idea that we want to each day have a meaningful engagement with God where we re-up, so to speak, where each day we're saying to the Lord, when he says, take up your cross daily, we're saying, yes, Lord, here I am again. I wanna follow you each day. And moving from there, we get more practical in the last message where we talked about lots of scripture that commends these real basic foundational habits of prayer and God's word to us. So if you weren't here two weeks ago before Kevin, that's what our last message was about. Um, and, And so... Today, I'm going to do what I've been saying I would do for a couple of weeks, which is get really practical. This message is going to have a lot of advice. There's going to be a lot of scripture, but, excuse me, much of the specific application will not be commandments of God strictly for you to follow, but much of this will be attempts at bringing wisdom to you to take or leave according to your best wisdom in the Lord. And I'm going to be saying that several times this morning because as I try to get concrete and practical with certain suggestions, I'm afraid in a message like this, I I can create a sort of false religion of salvation by devotional life. Um, The Pharisees, as you might recall from the Bible, were famous for spending a lot of time in their scriptures and yet having very, very little love for God and for people. There was just a tremendous amount of self-righteousness that was fostered by their religious habits. And we really want God to protect us from that. And I think a great verse to keep in mind when thinking about things like our quiet times, our devotional life, our practice of fasting or prayer in the word uh, is to remember what Paul says in Galatians 5 when he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I'm confident that five ounces of real faith, it's expressing itself in real love for God and people. Five ounces of that is is worth infinitely more than 50,000 hours on your knees and in prayer, in the study of God's word, empty of the fruit coming from that time of love for God and for people. So if our our spiritual practices don't help us love God and love people, they're worthless. Saying again, if our spiritual practices don't help us love God and love people, they're worthless. And yet, 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 very often we will find that the means of real faith showing itself in real love, including a real sense of being loved, that's how we get real love for God, And love for people must come through being refreshed in the truths of God's word. And it must come through being refreshed and crying out to God in prayer for the power we feel so deficient in to love him and to love people. And as we saw last time, 
I spent time in that last message two weeks ago trying to show you that in his word, God calls us again and again to ongoing, fervent prayer and to be a people who give careful attention to his word. And for each of us, that is gonna look really different. It's gonna look different. So we can, we're not to judge one another about these things. Because for each of us, it's gonna look different according to our opportunity, according to our need. But for each of us, it's gonna look like something, right? For each of us, it's gonna look different, but it's gonna look like something. If time is the currency of this life, some level of that currency has to be spent on our relationship with the Lord. I can't tell you exactly what that is, but it will look like something. So what I wanna do this morning, because I've really said a lot of those things, this is in the last several messages, is to just kind of talk about what it might look like for you and for I to keep our prayer fervent and to keep careful attention to God's word in our life. Some of this stuff will be total review for you guys and you'll be like, ah, I'm zoning out. Some of it maybe will remind you of things that you need to refresh in. But hopefully, even if you feel like you've got that down or you already know that that's not for you, it will broaden your wisdom palette so you might be able to think about it for others. I don't know. But anyway, here we go. I'm gonna march through these as quickly as I can without being... um, without hurting the message itself, Lord willing. So number one, consider setting aside time daily where you can be quiet and alone with God's word. This is the basic idea of a devotional life and a quiet time. And I know many of you guys have practiced this for years. Some of you guys are struggling with it. I just wanna put it out there and make sure we're covering basic idea thing here. In my early years as a believer, I fluctuated emotionally a great deal more than I came to later, which might be surprising to my wife and children who think, well, wow, if, if you fluctuated more, wow, emotionally, because I'm a very emotional person, but I'm, I'm actually more stable than I was. And the most emotionally stabilizing thing that ever happened to me as a believer after I came to Christ the most stabilizing thing that ever happened to me as a believer after I came to Christ was when I heeded the advice of older Christians who encouraged me in the emotional roller coaster of my daily life to start making meaningful time every day for God in prayer and study of his word. And this is at the core of what Dane Ortland told us about. We talked about it two weeks ago when he used the term breathing to affirm prayer and God's word as those things which are so essential to the functioning, the healthy functioning of our spiritual life. We remember Dane said, we inhale God's word. We exhale prayer. The Christian life is a life of breathing in God's word and breathing out God's prayer. What was new to me in those days though was th- though I had, I had prayed and I had seen God's word before someone had said, hey, why don't you start having a devotional life every day? What was really new to me was that idea of a planned regular time for this kind of thing. I had read scripture in crisis. I had prayed in crisis for the six years I'd been a Christian or so before, and that was really crucial for my growth and my development. But I had not made what we would call a devotional life a normal part of my life. So that's something I wanna commend to you, a daily meeting with God and you for prayer and time in his word. And why do I say daily? Well, First, God has called us to live daily. That's how life exists. It, live, it exists daily. In Luke 9, we're told each day 
Not each week, not each month or year, but each day we pick up our cross daily, the Lord specifically says, and follow him. Jesus says this on purpose, knowing that life is to be lived daily, one day at a time. And there is such great gentleness in this idea. God asks us to live life in small portions of time in his wisdom. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our Lord knows that anxiety about tomorrow, about the future, is a great exit ramp to anxiety leading to fear or anger or frustration or apathy. Anxiety doesn't just stop at anxiety. It always looks for some next step, the next step into anger, the next step into frustration, the next step into giving up, the next step into an escape that's really bad for us because it's too much or it's bad because of what it is. So God says, hey, don't think about tomorrow today. Think about the grace you need today. We're called to be a people present to the day he's given us, not burdened with a future which can only be in his hands. And this rhythm is built into nature itself, right? I mean, I'm saying such basic things, but stop and think. Each night, the sun goes down to rest. Isn't it a crazy coincidence that by that t- pretty soon after that time, we also need rest? I mean, isn't that weird? Like every day the sun goes down and it gets really dark and it just so happens that every day we need to go to bed for like, like a third of our whole day. What a weird thing. It's almost like God planned that. You know, I mean, you ever think about that? Like there's no reason why it has to be like that, right? Like the sun, bears sleep for like four months, right? They don't get up every day like we, no, he didn't have to set up like that. He could have had to stay awake for six weeks at a time and go to bed. But when the sun goes down, we go down. So God created this picture that the world turns off its desk lamp, inviting us to rest with it. When that lamp goes off, our sleep is to mark a rest from all our labors, including spiritual labors. And when we rise, what are we told to do? Rise up again and follow Jesus again, embracing his call to trust his hand. But daily, we need spiritual food for this. So we turn in prayer and in word for his food. In the Lord's prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We pray this quickly, we can pray this rotely, but if we think about the words, we recognize this assumes a daily calling on God for what we need, not only for our physical bread, but for everything spiritual in the rest of the prayer. Think about that. If give us our day is a clue that we need to call on God daily for bread, everything else in the prayer is a clue that we need to seek God daily for these things as well. His glory, every day asking for his glory. Every day, asking for his will to be done. Every day, our need for fresh mercy and our need to extend it. Every day, a prayer for protection from the demonic outside of us. Every day, a prayer for temptation inside of us. Obviously, supposed to be a meaningful daily prayer. By the way, can I just say that in terms of commanding you guys to to pray, 
and to have a, a functional engagement with God's truth every day, that's, that's as far as I can go. I can say with the authority of God's word, you should be meaningfully praying for those things every day. Maybe you change it up and you don't pray it rotely, you know? We pray it in the car with my kids and I think a lot of times they're just blah, 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 and we try to think about it and extend it. But, but I can say to you guys, everybody here should be praying for those things in the Lord's prayer every day meaningfully. And that's, that's as far as I can go in terms of telling you what you have to do with a devotional life, I think. But, the psalmist says, blessed is the man in Psalm 1 who meditates on God's word day and night, all the time. He's thinking about God's truth. Jesus said in Matthew 4 that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see an analogy between real food and spiritual food and to say, well, if I need food every day, several times a day for my body to function right, well, it's wise to feed on God's word every day in some manner. Of course, in Colossians 3, we're told to let the word of Christ, the message of Jesus, dwell in us richly. So I want to commend to you that based on these principles I've just talked about, regular meaningful engagement with God in prayer and in the word is wise is wise. Number two, <clears throat> if at all possible, make time for God early. If at all possible, make it as early as you can. And let me just say, it's not always possible. So I know that. It's just not. Kids, babies, work schedules. But <clears throat> while, while scripture never tells you to have a 30-minute quiet time at 7 a.m. each day, and to invent rules like this and to start evaluate ourselves on rules is wrong for all sorts of reasons. It is not legalism to be wise. It's not legalism to try to steward your spiritual health. It's not legalism to seek after God with zeal. As Kevin said last week and we've talked about before, God is not for earning, but he's not against effort. God is against earning, not effort. And by the way, just really quick, I don't know if you guys were here for Kevin, how many of you were? I was able to listen to the message off Cov Life site, we're not cut it up yet, but it, 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 if you were here for Kevin's message, did you notice how it just massively dovetailed with everything we've been talking about in the last like month and a half? Like it, it was just, that was not planned. I said, Kevin, what can you do? I'm sick. He said, this is the message I got. And I kid you not, I've been thinking about using that passage to teach this stuff more, but I'm not going to because he did. But it just, it just was another big post-it note. I'm here. I love this church. I love you people. I'm a good husband to my bride from the Lord. That just made my heart rejoice. Anyway, back to this. So why do I say early? Why do I say early? I said before that our devotion to God will to some degree show up in how we use our time. And when I think about when should I spend time with God, there are hints in God's word that seem to point to the idea that meeting with God words, God's word is to be cherished early. Now listen, or meeting with God is to be cherished early. Now, have you guys ever heard of the rocks in the jar analogy? Rocks in the jar, okay. If you take, <clears throat> if you take a jar, like one of those mason jars, it's glass, and you got a bunch of stuff to fill it with. Um, if you put the little things in there first, like let's say you have sand and rocks that you have to fill it with. So picture in your mind over here, like a bunch of sand and here's a bunch of rocks and one mason jar. 
If you put all the little sand dust particles in that mason jar first, and then you try to put the rocks in, you're going to make a real inefficient use of space. You're going to have sand level, and then you're going to have a bunch of rocks piled up with all kinds of holes between the rocks, right? If you put the rocks in first, the most important things first, and then put the sand in, you can fill it up together. Have you guys ever heard of that analogy? And or did that make sense to you? Mark, did that make sense to you? Was it too fast? Darn it all. <clears throat> After the service, <clears throat> Kyle, can you go over to Mark and try to explain what that analogy means? My point is that if we prioritize the important things first, then we'll have room for the less important things. Or if we don't have room for the less important things, it won't injure us as much. But if we prioritize the less important things first, then getting to the more important things will be that much harder. Okay, that's basically the idea of the rocks in the jar idea. It's a great analogy that I couldn't use well. But when we go to the Bible, which is the more important metric to use, we hear things like this. Psalm 5, Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Psalm 88, 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning. When Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, if we stop to think about the logic of that, it assumes our day is still ahead, right? He didn't say, thank you for the daily bread that we've had. It was really delicious. He says, we need ahead of us today sustenance. So now your work's at night. Day starts at 2 p.m. I know several of you who are like that. You have little babies at home. Your schedule is a disaster. So again, it's so easy to turn this into a fixed rule that is not in scripture. Even in the Psalms, we never get that principle. You've got to do this this time. So and we can get into thinking if we're really into the quiet time devotional thing. We, can, we talked about this before. You can pretzel yourself into this idea that if I didn't do this in the morning, God won't be with me for the rest of the day. And that is a real temptation for people. And in my best sense is that when I do that, I'm very close to replacing, if I haven't functionally, replacing the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus with my devotional life. That's... Another word for that is idolatry, right? So I don't want to do that. God will be with you each day because Jesus poured out his blood for you in order to forgive your sins and place his spirit in you, not because you had your quiet time before 7.30, okay? Why will Jesus be with me today? Because either because Jesus poured out his blood and died on a cross and rose from the dead or because I had my devotional life at 7.00. Which one's more important in God's eyes? So don't get caught up in the external like I can. Think about the eternal issue of your heart. This is really about giving God first place in your life by giving him first place with your time. So legalism aside, I do think it's a wise and honoring endeavor to say to God with your time, because you're the most important person in my life, because I need everything for today from you, because I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to try to give you my first attention. Not my phone, not anything else except maybe my coffee, because <laughs> without that I can't exist. But I'm going to try to meet meaningfully with you as soon as I can. And I, you, I 
just think God blesses us when we, when we give him anything, when we give him first place in our lives in anything. He just, he just won't be out honored. He won't be out given. He gives. So number three, have a default plan for your devotional life. Have a default plan. Have a default plan. Just come up with something. Familiarity helps routine. No one likes to look for their toothbrush in a new place every day. Wouldn't that be exciting? No one likes to, oh, honey, remember we're going to play hide the coffee maker. Wouldn't it be great? No, no one wants to find, hey, William, take my lens container and put it in a new place so daddy can have an adventure. No, that's crazy. So this is an appeal to put some things in place ahead of time so you don't have to reinvent the wheel every morning. Choose the same place, same chair, leave the same Bible there. Try to keep the same situation as much as possible. Go to bed early enough to have the energy you need. Figure out what time that is and stick to it. Your body has to have rest for everything coming up ahead of itself. No less time with God. So if you're binging on fill in the blanks with some show and you're, you're tired every morning, it's a very simple, basic wisdom idea. You got to sacrifice that time at night so you can have more time with the Lord. I, I, I think I can almost guarantee you you'll in the long run be much happier for doing that. And don't make it too complicated for yourself, this idea of having a plan. Like, when it comes to like what to read. I had a seminary teacher who was really brilliant, great pastor. He did just a simple thing. He read one chapter of a Psalm and one chapter of another book of the Bible every morning. That was his plan. He would pick Mark. He'd do Mark 1, Psalm 1. And when he got to the end of Mark, Mark 16, he'd do Psalm 16. Then he'd go to John and do Psalm 17. It was just very simple. So you might finish several books before you're done to the Psalms. Fine. When you get done with the Psalms, you start all the way back with Psalm 1 again and pick a different book. But no one says you have to do two chapters a day like Mike Bullmore. It, it, for you, maybe it's one or maybe it's less. And if you don't finish a whole chapter because you're caught up in something deep and you're pondering something, all the better. Our goal with God is first of all, not quantity, but quality in all things. Building a church, building a marriage, building a relationship. It's about quality over quantity. So put a little mark in the space where you finish so you know where to start the next day. And don't worry about finishing the Bible in a year plan. Like if you're enjoying the Bible and really trying to grapple with it, you know, plans are made for man. Man wasn't made for Bible plans. Let me say something about content. The Bible, contrary to the way we can talk about it, is often not easy to understand. And the Holy Spirit can certainly help us a great deal as we wait and pray. But, but a lot of times, we need the Holy Spirit working through other teachers and their gifts to help us meet with him. So I just want to exhort you, encourage you, make use of Bibles with good study notes. If you're like, I read the Bible and I just get so lost so easy, trying to understand it, well, get a good study Bible with a lot of data. I, and I can help you do that. If you don't have one and you want one, come and talk to me. You can get commentaries. They don't have to be like, you know, Lord Professor Poindexter of the Oxford. They can just be like simple ones. Like this, this is Tim Keller. He does a commentary on Galatians. It's really great. It's really accessible. It's the kind of thing I would use. Um, there's other guys who are just like, I've talked about Dane Ortland. I mean, John Piper is probably m my favorite. Nancy Lee DeMoss. Anyone who really sets out to honor the word of God, just find a commentary that goes along with them. Or books that, Books that are saturated with scripture and grapple with scripture. They don't, it doesn't have to be a commentary in the Bible. Anybody who's really faithful to God, who's really trying to wrestle through God's word, 
God can use that to help you meet with him. But the the other point here is to come up with a plan. So you're not trying to come up with something new every single day, okay? Pick a plan. If you you got another idea that you're excited about, that's fine. But but at least you have something going on, okay? Um, Let me think about where I am and where you guys are as you stretch and yawn. Um, Sorry, Luke. Um, I'm not picking on you because you stretched and yawned. All right, I'm just gonna keep going and, and I'm gonna stop at a time signature there. Okay, give yourself enough time. That's number four. Give yourself enough time. If at all possible, give yourself unhurried time so you can relax and not have to rush. There's no perfect time allotment, but the point is you need enough time to be able to relax. This will mean, like I said before, saying no to stuff that will attack your energy level for this. This might mean having coffee. But any quality relationship takes time and meaningful conversation. And the same is true between you and God. This is also necessary because we are so prone to distraction. So it's important to give the necessary time to settle our brains down and to fight the fight of focus. There is a, this is so interesting to me. There's a Puritan saying, like the Puritans lived, you know, 300, 400 years ago, 500 years ago. And they had a saying which is crazy because they did not have cell phones. But their saying was, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. And D.A. Carson explains, he says, what they mean is that Christians should pray long enough and honestly enough at a single session to get past the feeling of formalism, like stodgy, roteness, or unreality that (laughs) <laughs> that attends not a little praying, which is D.A. Carson's old professory way of saying that attends a lot of our praying. He, we are especially prone to such feelings, feelings of this isn't real. This is just formal. This is a roteness. We're, we're, we're especially prone to such feelings when we pray only a few minutes, rushing to be done with a mere duty, trying to check off a box. He says to enter the spirit of prayer, we must stick to it for a while. If we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence. Now, let me qualify that. Can't qualify everything. But of course, there are mornings where we spend a lot of time and we we walk out a little, not feeling as met as we want to be. But I think my experience is that, that this is absolutely the general truth. That if that eventually if we give the time to it, he says, we come to delight in God's presence, to rest in his love, to cherish his will, Even in dark or agonizing prayer, we somehow know we are doing business with God eventually. In short, we discover a little of what Jude means when he exhorts his readers to pray in the Holy Spirit, which presumably means it is treacherously possible to pray not in the Spirit. So one suggestion for getting to that place where we really feel met by God is to pray long enough, to fight, to focus, and to give him the time to pray until we pray. And I have experienced that many times in my life. Number five, use your weaknesses and your lack of desire for God against the enemy. Use your weaknesses and your lack of desire to be with him and to talk with him against Satan. I find a lot of encouragement from the fact that many believers that we would consider great, mature believers in Christ confess that they do not want to read their Bible and pray. I've talked about John Piper before, but you can find others. George Mueller, don't let your lack of desire 
discourage you. You have sin in you. It wakes up with you. And instead, use your lack of appetite to rely on scripture's invitation to cry out to God. So God says in Lamentations that every day he has new mercies for us. Some days we feel that. A lot of days we get up, we do not feel his new mercies. And I just think the enemy really, really wants to oppose us in getting to him and experiencing those new mercies. Because when we experience those new mercies and we experience that sense of peace, that freedom that comes from engaging with him, our day is on its way to being very, very different and much more fruitful. And so I, I do think that, that Satan is particularly busy in the morning to try to get us to not even start to engage with God. And so I just want to encourage you to, to just, just to own that. Like, that's just the reality of our hearts. Use your lack of appetite to rely on scripture's invitation to cry out to God. God strews this idea through the Psalms. Psalm 19, David says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, well, I woke up this morning, God, and I'm not really, I don't wanna be with you. I, my, my heart is actually geared towards selfishness right now. That's what he's saying. It's a beautiful confession. And it's very, like, it really meets us where we are. Psalm 19, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Guess what David is saying? I do not see the beauty of this book right now. The beauty of your truth is just not real to me. You gotta open my eyes. It's a beautiful, <laughs> that's a beautiful, merciful confession. Psalm 86, 11. Unite my heart to fear your name. My heart's really divided. <laughs> I want you, but I don't want you. I want this other stuff instead. Psalm 90, 14, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. I'm satisfied by other things where I'm not satisfied at all, but your love for me, it is not, I'm not feeling it. That David is admitting all these things as he engages with God. So just be honest with him. By the way, Piper turned those four verses into this little acronym, I-O-U-S. I-O-U-S, it's how he remembers. And many times he, he would say he starts his prayer mornings by saying, incline, open, unite, satisfy. He prays these verses. If you want these verses specifically, I'll give them to you. Um, they're online and I can send this manuscript out. Point is, be honest with God. Just tell him that you <laughs> don't wanna be with him, that you don't feel his love, that you feel like he doesn't care about you, that your, your heart is heart. God's not surprised by that. He knows anyway. And he wants you to come anyway, which is, says a lot of, like, what does that say about the humility of God? You ever think about that? Like the holy, holy, holy God of the universe who deserves our greatest devotion. He's willing to deal with us in our coldness. Number six, you guys okay? Okay, enter in expecting God to be gracious and merciful to you. Expect God to be really kind. We just talked about that. He's given us his word that shows us that he wants to be, even when we're cold, but expect him to be gracious. It, it honors God and it honors the sacrifice of Jesus when we believe that because he paid the price for our sins 2,000 years ago, that God wants to meet with us today. That's why God tells us in Hebrews 4 to come with boldness. He says, come boldly. If you look at the antecedent to that command to come boldly, it has nothing to do with your character. In fact, your character is on trial in verse 14. It says you're struggling with sin in verse 14, essentially. But it says Jesus is so sympathetic, he can relate to all your struggle and he's merciful. And that's exactly why God made him a man. So come boldly. All the burden for your boldness is on Jesus 
and his character and his goodness and his gentleness and his humility. And it's what it's supposed to do is stoke the fire of your boldness. Do you see how non like introspective that is? My gosh, how freeing that is. I am such a mess so often because I'm just looking inside and not liking what I see or fearing I want. And God just says, get your eyes off that. Look at my son. He knows all your crap. He went through it all. That's exactly why I made him a man. So he could understand you. So have incredible confidence coming before me. Whether you feel it or not, have incredible confidence. Number seven, don't ignore who you are and what season you're in. You know, Paul wrote specific letters for specific churches. He didn't write Galatians to the Corinthians. He didn't write the Romans to the Thessalonians. The Holy Spirit had certain things for him to say to specific churches. And the Holy Spirit will do that in God's word. You will read a Psalm and certain things just won't touch you, but something will pop out that you need. Because the Holy Spirit's at work writing a specific love letter from God to you. But you can also come alongside him in this by taking time to consider and focus on scripture and scripture saturated books that speak to the, the particular shape of your soul. Some of us have a very melancholy, introspective soul. Some of us have a very stout and confident soul. And we need different kinds of ministry for those different kinds of seasons we're in and different kinds of ways that we are. So if you struggle with legalism and, and condemnation, well, you, you're going you're gonna to want to keep coming back to maybe certain books of the Bible and certain devotional books. If that's just your slant, you're going to want to remember that. You probably will need to remember that for the rest of your life. If you're given to battles with lust, just like a, that's a lifelong battle for you, you're going to want to have certain books of the Bible, certain devotional books, certain passages that you're going to want to have come back to again and again. Just, just remember who you are and what season you're in when you think about what should be your devotional diet. Um, and, and you can ask God to help you and then seek out through wisdom in his word and from people where you might want to be in your devotional diet. Number eight, use scriptures prayerfully. Use scriptures prayerfully. This is a really beautiful idea that uh, first came to me in my study uh, well, I don't need to go down to that, that line of thinking. But the point is that uh, something changed George Mueller's life in his 30s that lasted his entire life. And he really ran hard after God. He really loved God and gave his life to God in ways that really are mind-blowing. But he had a really hard time praying to God and being focused on God. And, and so he had this experience of, well, an idea came to him when he was in his, I think he was in his 37-ish and he said this, I used to rise and begin to pray as soon as possible and would spend all my time until breakfast in prayer. And then he says, he described it as he would suffer from much wandering of mind for the first 10 minutes or the first 15 minutes or a half hour before he would actually begin to feel like he was meeting with God. He would just pray and pray and pray. He would just feel so distracted and he couldn't connect. And then he started a different approach that lasted for the next 40 years. And he says this, this simple idea changed his life. Maybe it will serve you. He says, I began to meditate, not pray at first. I began to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning, searching into every verse for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul, 
The result I have found almost invariably is this, that after a few minutes, my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer at first, but to meditating on God's word, yet it would turn almost immediately more or less into prayer. The idea was that that Mueller began to read scripture prayerfully. So he would look at a passage or a psalm and, he, and he'd really try to consider it. And it might, it might judge him. It might, he might see David's love of God and how he said, nothing in heaven do I desire but you. And that would move him to say, God, I desire a lot of other things more than you right now. So please forgive me. Or it might encourage him. He might say, blessed is the man whose sins are covered. And he'd read, oh, that verse in the Psalms, and he'd say, that's me. God, I'm just going to take a second to just thank you that my sins are covered. He read scripture to pray it. And you can really do this with most scripture. You can find something to thank God for after a few verses. You can find something to ask God for after a few verses. And Robert Murray McShane, another wonderful godly man said, you know, if you're reading the first Psalm, you spread the Bible in a chair before you and you pray, oh Lord, give me the blessedness of this man. Let me not stand in the counsel of the ungodly. And then he says this about that. And I really feel like this has legs. He says, this is the best way of knowing the meaning of the Bible and learning to pray. In his experience, what really helped Robert Murray McShane to really understand scripture was when he started reading it prayerfully. He started trying to turn it into prayer. So that's an idea I commend to you. Number nine, keep a journal. We're almost done. Okay, this has been so invaluable to my ADHD brain. Oh my goodness. Piper says pens have eyes, that when you write stuff down, it helps you see what you're writing. It helps you think about what you're writing. Writing our prayers and even writing out scripture in the journal can help so much with with concentration issues, which I have a lot of. And then thoughts come to you. There are interruptions about your workday, your schedule. You can just jot them down and you know they're down there on that page and you can leave them and keep coming back to God. And another advantage of having a journal is your ability to come back days later and see how God's been at work. You will be amazed if you trace and track your prayers, like even weekly, you'll be amazed at what prayers God has answered that you've already forgotten. You'll go back and say, oh, I prayed about that and he answered. And then you have an opportunity to praise him. Your faith gets built. You will see that God remembered and answered many prayers that you prayed and left behind. Let me see here. Um, I'm gonna make this really quick. Number 10 is consider carrying scripture for key areas of battle during your day. You know, when I was new in Christ, nobody had cell phones. They hadn't invented them yet. And, and everybody walked around with, well, everybody. That's, people walked around sometimes with index cards, like little index card booklets with verses on them. Or they'd have little pieces of paper with verses on them. Do you remember those days? People had like Bible verses on paper in their pocket. Well, of course you don't. You're, you were like, you were 20 years to be born. But like, people don't do that anymore because they're their phones. But I have a sneaking suspicion that we haven't really, used, we don't really use our phones now for Bible verses very much. Like, I, I don't think it's a fair trade. Like, well, since we have our phones, we don't need to put verses on index cards anymore and paste them on our car. Well, of course we don't. We could, we could you know, take a screenshot of the verse and put it, you know, in the, I don't think that's what's happened. I don't think there's been a good exchange. I just want to commend to you that practice 
of putting verses on your mirror, on your fridge, on your, that, that you need for specific areas of your life that you need to deal with. I met with, uh, do you guys remember Jameson Parker who, prayed, who, who preached to us in, in late August? I met with him. We get together every once in a while. And, you know, we're talking about different issues. And he just pulled out Isaiah. And he sat there at a picnic table where we talked. And he just read. He just said, read this to me. He gave me a little specific portion of Isaiah to read. And so I read out loud to Jameson this little section of Isaiah. And it said, because you are precious in my sight, and honored, and I love you. Do not fear, for I am with you always. I mean, I, I know those verses are in there, but oh my goodness, did I need to hear that? And I needed to hear it the next day, the next day. So I put a little, made a little card, put it next to my desk. I need that. I need that word. The, Ephesians 6 calls the word of God the sword of the spirit the sword of the spirit. Let me tell you something about that word. It's the only offensive weapon listed in the armor of God in the famous Ephesians 6 armor of God section. It's not for resisting or defending. It's used for taking ground against the enemy. That specific Greek word is called a gladius sword. It was a small cut and thrust two-edged sword. It wasn't the broad sword, but Paul could have referenced. The point is, in the context, this sword is, is a metaphor for cutting, aggressive, specific, precise, appropriate word for specific situations. One guy says, an author says, it's significant that in Matthew, Jesus himself refers to every word, that we need every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said every one, because we are called to employ relevant scripture to defeat the devil's strategies, which are different according to where we are. So you guys get the point. You want to find specific and direct guidance that gives focus precisely to attitudes of your heart that you're supposed to go after. But here's the point. Like, how do you get to those? How do you discover those verses? In the, in the moment? Like at three when you're attacked with the anxiety? or this? No, you, you find them because you, you've been saturating your mind every day with God a little bit at a time and you discover this passage really ministers to you. Or someone who's been saturating their mind with God's word and prayer comes to you like Jameson did to me. Isn't that a good thing to think about? We think about our quiet times. We can think about our own individual life with God and that's what this section is about. But Maddie right now and Michelle have to eat for other people. <laughs> right? Maddie is building a human being. And when she has whatever she has, she's eating, not just for herself now. And it's the same with you and God's word and prayer. You're never just having a spiritual practice of discipline for yourself. God wants to use it to bless other people. Last one. We did it. We've been saying this a lot. I want to repeat it again as we close. Your devotional life is not your righteousness. Jesus is. We can slip into two major wrong attitudes about our spiritual disciplines. We can think that because we're walking them out well in our eyes, we are most favored by God. Oh, I had my quiet time. I feel so good. Jesus' blood is great and everything, but I had my quiet time. It was an hour. Thank you for the cross, but man, I'm crushing it in my spiritual discipline. Like, that is just, I think that's abhorrent to God. So we can also think that because we're struggling with this practice and habit that other people like me put these suggestions and I'm not doing them perfectly, we can also disqualify ourselves from God's grace and put ourselves under condemnation. 
and act as if, well, the, the, the converse is true, that because I'm not having a quiet time like I used to or like Albert says or like this person is, that somehow I'm disqualified from God's grace. That's the devil. Cut your feet from under you. Remember the analogy of the sailboat from a few weeks ago. Prayer, the word, these are ways to lift the sail to meet the wind of the Holy Spirit. There are means. There are means. They're not the end. They're a tool, not the goal. They don't earn you anything. They position you to experience what Christ alone has earned for you. And just as we can weaken our experience of our relationship with God by failing to spend any time with him, we can also weaken our experience of God by making our spiritual disciplines rather than Jesus our salvation or because of the lack of them, our hopelessness. So you are accepted in the beloved. Your record of debt has been canceled. You are justified by his blood. You are indwelt by his spirit. Keeping those truths in front of you should be at the core of your practice of spiritual disciplines. And that's what I think Paul meant in Colossians 3 when he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. He could have said, let the word of the commandments dwell richly in you. He could have just said more generally, let the word of the Torah or the Tanakh or the scriptures dwell richly in you. But he didn't. He said, let the word of Christ. What is the word of Christ that's different from whatever had come before it? Moses brought the law. The law brings condemnation. But Jesus brings grace. His word speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you remember when Cain killed Abel? And God said his blood is crying out, to the gra- crying out from the ground. For what? For vengeance. For justice. Jesus' blood cries out to God, forgiven, forgiven, debt canceled, beloved, accepted, justified. We want to keep that central in our devotional life so that we can pursue him, but pursue him from the right place. It's exactly what Kevin talked about last week, right? If you remember that one. <laughs>